Chapter 7 Bitcoin So we've talked around Bitcoin a lot so far in this series. I've gone into relatively good detail as to the history of monetary policy and how it's changed and in some ways regressed. However, this episode is why I think Bitcoin could be a spear of a monetary revolution deflating the government money printing and credit creation bubbles. What are the properties of Bitcoin that gives me this hope? Why Bitcoin over anything else? After all, Bitcoin is just open source software and you can copy Bitcoin if you want and run a parallel network with you owning all the Bitcoin. Well, firstly, we all know deep down that when people argue this, it's complete nonsense. It's no different to Facebook or Twitter. You could make something an exact replica, but it's actually the established network that gives it its value, not the software itself. This is the well-known phenomena of network effects. The more people that use the one system, the more they will also join that system because other people are on it. The reason so many people have Facebook is because everybody else does. The same will be said of Bitcoin. We've talked broadly, sometimes very broadly at times, about economics and touched on the 2008 economic crisis. This is where Bitcoin all started, in the bank failures of those years, where the mindset of politicians was that the banks, and therefore the economy, was too big to fail, essentially making the economy reliant on the banking sector's success, as we talked about in our episode on financialization. Huge deficit spending and fiscal stimulus had led to ultra-cheap borrowing, which has not solved our economic problems. The early 2010s in America saw the rise of populism, like the Tea Party and Occupy Wall Street, which was set up against the status quo. But the real solution for their problems, Bitcoin, was just about starting, though nobody had quite realised it yet. Both Occupy Wall Street and the Tea Party were on the same side. A problem for any system that relies on a two-party divide and rule structure. So, as we mentioned, Bitcoin was invented in around 2008 as a mysterious and never identified presumed man called Satoshi Nakamoto authored a paper called Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system, and he posted it to a crypto mailing list. On the 3rd of January 2009, the Bitcoin network began when Nakamoto mined the first chain known as the Genesis block of the blockchain. In what is known as the Coinbase of the block, Nakamoto copied the text from an article from the London Times of that day, which said, quote, Chancellor on brink of second bailout for banks, close quotes. Bitcoin's origins was a sartorial comment on the nature of government money and the banking sector's instability. Yet the man, or woman, who authored this paper is still not identified, 
which has led to wild speculation. None of the many suspects of Satoshi are seemingly Japanese, like the name Satoshi would suggest. Many investigations have tried to work out who Satoshi exactly is. One study even looked at the times Nakamoto published and worked out that his pattern was during the dead of night for a Japanese person. So it's thought unlikely, though not impossible, that Nakamoto was working in a Japanese work pattern. The time zone used, and of course the use of the London Times, means it could be somebody British or even European. Yet most suspects seemingly are American. There's no point really going into huge depths about who Satoshi could be. You could go on forever, but I'm just going to linger on it for a little bit. My only note would be, as it is so often is, that it's difficult to resist some of the more fanciful conspiracies. The man behind the mask is, after all, a literal conspiracy. One or more people know who conspired to create Bitcoin, and that this secret has been kept very well. The obvious people, like Hal Finney, an early collaborator of Satoshi, is probably far too obvious in my actual opinion to be Satoshi. It's of course possible, but after going through all the efforts to create Bitcoin and keep it secret, why would you leave such an obvious trail to yourself? Others, like Nick Sabo, are equally unlikely and likely to be Satoshi. They probably have the biggest percentage chance, but something about it doesn't quite seem right to me. The more fanciful conspiracies, such as Bitcoin was a CIA, MI5, Mossad or Bank of England's creation in secret, may sound crazy. But remember, Bitcoin is a literal conspiracy. And the CIA or the Bank of England are the type of institutions with such closeness to state apparatus that it is one of the few places where, say, more than three or four people could be made to keep a secret without it ever getting out. The sheer fundamental nature of Bitcoin and how revolutionary it is does make me lead towards the idea of a secret institution project. Bitcoin and the blockchain are such fundamentally revolutionary inventions that if one person developed it, they are probably an actual genius. I would like to believe that any ordinary person we've never heard of and may never hear of in their room over a couple of months decided to create and publish for free without any publicity, one of the greatest inventions of all time. But for whatever reason, I think this is getting more and more unlikely. Most people have an ego, an ego big enough to want to publicise the fact that they were the genius behind it. Furthermore, the original bitcoins mined by Satoshi have never been moved. It's now tens of billions of pounds, which is just sitting there, waiting for something. It's for all this that it makes me think that it's unlikely to be an ordinary person in their home office or wherever creating the entire system out of nothing. 
Well, who else then could have created it? Well, the conspiracy nuts should be going crazy with who created Bitcoin. But it doesn't seem to be that much of an interesting concept. Maybe just because there's almost no evidence. So I'll put forward my own far-fetched theory. I'd probably believe this theory enough to put £100 on it, but no more than that. For me, the clue is in the name cryptocurrency. The genius behind Bitcoin and the blockchain was so far ahead of the rest of the field that we should surely know who this person was. But there doesn't seem to be many living candidates for this title of computer genius. So maybe the person who came up with the idea wasn't actually alive. My guess might be Alan Turing had something to do with it. Like Newton and Einstein in physics, or Darwin in biology, Turing was a genius in the field of computer science. These types of people can predict and develop theories that are so far ahead of the rest of us, mere mortals, that their work is still groundbreaking many decades after they died. We all know that most of Turing's work was in secret, with much of it being hidden under the Official Secrets Act. Turing specialised in cryptography and provided early work on the computer and their interconnectedness. I don't see any reason why he couldn't have come up, in theory at least, with something similar to the blockchain. It is, after all, essentially cryptography. Once you've developed a blockchain, then the backbone of money quite naturally comes with it. Internet money had been tried before, but combining it with the world's most perfect blockchain definitely did help. The idea that Bitcoin could have been a government operation is far-fetched. But just remember that in the Genesis block, there was a comment from the London Times about the banking crisis. Maybe it was a long-term solution thought up at the highest levels using the work of the world's probable still most foremost cryptographic genius. Once you've done that, you could get a small team together, work under a pseudonym, and develop the thing in secret. I'm sure there is still lots of Turing's work that is still under a vault somewhere in London, ready for whoever needs it to use it. Now, it may sound silly, and it probably is, but with the lack of evidence of who Satoshi is, we cannot use deductive logic to piece together the clues as there aren't really any clues. We would have to use inductive logic to reason a premise without much evidence and think of grander theories, without ever having a full assurance of the truth. I can well imagine after the banking crisis, governments around the world were looking for a solution. But none were ever found, or so we're told. All it would have taken was for somebody with knowledge of Turing's work on a potential cryptographic currency to present this to the right people who could then sign off on it and for the currency to be created, allowing it to grow naturally over time without taking credit and solving the problem over time. My Turing theory is a bit all over the place. But there was just one little coincidence I wanted to bring up that made me think maybe there was more to the Turing link 
than has perhaps ever been thought. Only a few months after the release of Bitcoin itself, Turing was randomly pardoned by the British government. Governments don't just pardon people willy-nilly. After a petition reached only 30,000 signatures, Gordon Brown formally apologised to Turing, despite no legal basis to do so. With Turing having been convicted of a criminal offence he did commit. Whether it was morally wrong is another question, but he was, of course, guilty. While in 2013 Turing was formally pardoned by Queen Elizabeth II. I also remember, around this time, when the media started to really push the Turing story and how important he was in the Second World War. Turing really started to enter the public consciousness as the genius who saved Britain during the war. Only a few years after that, a major Hollywood film was released about Turing and how, again, he saved the war. Possibly a coincidence, but it's something of a coincidence that the world's most foremost cryptographic expert was pardoned at the same time as the world's most ever important cryptographic technology was released. As I said, without any other good answers as to who Satoshi might be, my guess would be a group of people developing Bitcoin based on some parts of Turing's cryptographic work. I'd put £100 on it and no more. So that's my theory of who Satoshi is. But what did Satoshi actually develop? There are many ways to describe Bitcoin. You could describe it in purely mathematical terms. You could describe it in purely banking terms or in speculation terms, or as a digital technology. Each of these ways of explaining and talking about Bitcoin have probably already been written. So I'm not going to go through mounds and mounds of potentially quite boring information that you could get from somebody more well qualified on their specific area. Instead, I'm just going to go through a very simple explanation of what Bitcoin is. So Bitcoin, what is it? Very simply, Bitcoin is internet money that actually works. Why does it work? Well, the cryptography based on the blockchain inherently makes digital replication impossible. Because of what Satoshi programmed created perfect money. There had been internet money before Bitcoin, but none ever worked as well as Bitcoin because they hadn't perfected any sort of blockchain technology. Bitcoin is programmed to work on many different layers. Its blockchain is reprogrammable. Today, in 2021, Bitcoin mostly works as digital gold, but unlike gold, Sending Bitcoin is as easy as sending your friend a meme on Snapchat. Various layers are being added to this blockchain, such as the Lightning Network and recently Taproot, which will enable more and more applications to be used from the base blockchain. In effect, what each layer 
of the blockchain will be is an added feature of the Bitcoin network. The first layer, built by Satoshi, merely represents sending and receiving of Bitcoins. This can take, at times, quite a long time with higher network fees and it's not exactly the best to buy a coffee for, for example. But in terms of sending large amounts of money around the world, there is no other better system than Satoshi's blockchain. Therefore, we can see that one as the digital gold layer, the monetary basis of the Bitcoin network. As new layers have been added in, like the Lightning Network, which provides an extra layer which will help facilitate almost instantaneous payments at very low network fees. Designed for those quick payments at the coffee shop or the bar, Taproot will enable future Bitcoin developers to add features like programmable contracts. These are all layers that have been developed at once, some based on pure innovation like Satoshi's and others like Taproot and the Lightning Network which have taken inspiration from other coins. Adding it onto the Bitcoin network makes Bitcoin the future monetary basis of the world. Many argue that merely holding onto Bitcoin long term is the best way to use this new technology, as its deflationary effects means the value of Bitcoins will go up over time. Satoshi programmed only 21 million coins. The amount in circulation is going up all the time as miners get to that level of 21 million bitcoins. But demand will outstrip supply, creating deflationary effects all across the world. Whomever Satoshi really was did this because they had a motivation to create a truly peer-to-peer -peer form of electronic money. And this is just what Bitcoin allows for. The recording of who owned and stored what information has been so crucial to society over history that the entire concept of writing was developed in order to store financial information. This type of information can be automated and secured through the blockchain. Blockchains are just cryptographic records called ledgers that are downloaded and updated constantly by what are called miners. Miners are just computer processors running software, working on millions of calculations per second in order to keep all the transactions on this digital ledger running. There are millions of miners all over the world, and the calculations the miners do help to process these smart spreadsheets on a grand scale. There is no single point of control for Bitcoin, as its blockchain is programmed to allow everybody to check everybody else's work, stopping any single source and even large coordinated efforts to manipulate the blockchain. The benefits of checking other people's work is rewarded through mining. These computer processors do all the checking on the transactions in the blockchain and they give a small reward for solving a certain number. Small blocks of the blockchain 
are awarded to those who can solve the mathematical problems. It's kind of, very simply, brilliant. A method of rewarding people through keeping the system working, so the system itself is self-sufficient and self-generates returns. Throughout most of history, exchanging money has required effort. Transferring gold, for example, requires lots of people to transfer it and secure it. It took time and a heavy risk of theft, while gold mining itself was hugely energy intensive. How much of a problem was moving gold? Well, think of literally any Robin Hood show or movie. There's always a raid on officials moving gold through Sherwood Forest, as it's stolen by Robin Hood and his band of merry men. Transferring worth and value has always proved a task. Paper and digital money are easier to transact than gold, but Bitcoin is the easiest to transact of them all. It can be done in an instant, with no middleman taking fees. It only uses the fees it needs to transact this amount. For Bitcoin, there are no bank servers transacting the money. It's all decentralised. This means Bitcoin needs a huge amount of processing power to power the entire system. Therefore, it needs huge amounts of energy. Energy-intensive Bitcoin mines are filled with these computer processors to run these mining operations. Rather than causing huge pollution, however, most of the mines are built near very cheap and renewable energy sources, if anything, helping to fund a new wave of large-scale energy production and computer processing power. Bitcoin is in effect Electric money powered on electronic systems uses pure energy to keep itself sustaining. Anywhere with excess electricity could be turned into a Bitcoin mine, saving humanity from all the wasted energy it uses. The value of the network will grow and grow, meaning more investment will be put into more energy sources, and cheaper and cheaper energy is good for everybody on earth. As more and more Bitcoin is mined and rises towards this 21 million Bitcoin mark, the rewards you get for mining become less and less, but then the value of these rewards, in terms of their purchasing power, will be enormous. This is what will drive this energy revolution. As supply decreases, it will further push and push up the relative value of Bitcoin. Once Bitcoin reaches its 21 million mined mark, estimated to be at some point in 2140, the rewards for mining will just be transaction fees. But even these transaction fees that cover the entire world, and maybe solar system by that point, will be so valuable that it will be worth the use of this processing power and energy to keep the entire system going. Bitcoin allows for a perfectly symmetrical system of supply and demand. It is built into its very programming. Like any symmetry, the threat, of course, is that the symmetry is altered. Asymmetrical threats can happen to any system. But none of these threats have happened yet. Yet perceived threats to Bitcoin seem to happen all the time. The first thing to note is that really, 
Bitcoin is too decentralised to be banned by governments in totality. It would be faced with too much resistance. Ban Bitcoin early on and people just ignore you as the ban seems petty. Ban Bitcoin too late and too many people would have benefited. I don't think, globally, there will ever be a right time to ban Bitcoin. Even banning Bitcoin across several continents wouldn't kill it. The countries where Bitcoin is instead embraced, like El Salvador, will soar in prosperity because of its superiority to the dollar reserve system. If Russia or Cuba or Venezuela adopt Bitcoin, it will become an existential threat too great for other countries to ignore. This will be its victory. If you can't beat them, you have to join them. Bitcoin is already too big to stop. Unlike banks, which are failing constantly, Bitcoin cannot fail. The threat of Bitcoin is like saying there is a threat to the internet. Certainly, its symmetry can be thrown off. Big corporations can gobble up slices. Countries could turn Bitcoin mining into a national industry to gain rapid benefits for themselves. Governments could try to ban Bitcoin, while individuals or exchanges could get hacked, while other crypto coins might look promising and then proved to be fraudulent. Meanwhile, Bitcoin itself is not anymore isolated from the economy. A collapse in the world economy could cause Bitcoin many issues. Competition could also play a role, just as Bitcoin will outcompete government-issued money. A new coin could also outcompete Bitcoin, which has kind of happened with Monero taking over on the darknet marketplaces. While the final issue many people have with Bitcoin is that its price is too volatile. The price volatility argument is either true from one point of view or insane from another. Bitcoin is the most stable currency in the world, with mathematically certain amounts and clear periods of supply and demand. It is not Bitcoin that is unstable, but humans and the value they place on things. The point about Bitcoin's volatile value is one worth going into more depth. The worst thing you can do before putting your money into Bitcoin is to realise that it only has the value people think it's worth. People talk to each other and they read about Bitcoin. When Bitcoin rose to nearly 16,000 in late 2017, from only 1,000 or so earlier in the year, people gained huge amounts of money from that and the rise was covered everywhere in the media. There was general astonishment as to its rise. The value and interest in Bitcoin peaked, and it caused a mini-collapse, as many who gained rapid wealth thought it was near topping out. They pulled out. Bitcoin plunged in value. But the Bitcoin and the blockchain system just kept on plugging along as before. One Bitcoin was still one Bitcoin, and the system didn't die, but carried on just a little less valued than before. After many who simply never sold and held their coins throughout the bubble, they never actually lost money, as following the crash, the value started to rise again. 
the same supply and demand effects came into being. Bitcoin will just do its thing, whether we like it or not. So once Bitcoin reaches a level of ascendancy in the economy, where the world prices in truly Bitcoin's value, we already know how the system will work. The supply of Bitcoins will be moderated still by the halving cycle. Every four years, the rewards for mining Bitcoin will be halved, which will cause a supply shock, meaning the value of Bitcoin will rise as there's less supply. Economic outlooks will be run by the Bitcoin halving cycle. Once Bitcoin becomes more widely adopted, the year after the halving will be a deflationary period as Bitcoins become more scarce. And the two years before a halving cycle will be a mild inflationary period as the markets become adjusted to the supply shock. Within the year or six month period before a halving will be deflationary and those who can will save up as much as they can to reap the gains as much as possible for the coming supply shock. The deflationary and inflationary effects on the economy will be profound, as there's a sudden two-year inflationary push to spend in the middle of the halving period, preferably on productive investments that can produce all season returns. The halving will be like a man-made season, similar to the harvests of farming societies, which still survives as a time of celebration and concern, as people worry if they'll have enough money for the coming supply shock of no food. This inflationary model of Bitcoin may not always work. If there's some damage or change to the equilibrium of supply and demand, things might be different. If sudden technological gains produce huge amounts of centralised or decentralised returns, or a mass loss in value following some global event, it could have damaged these frameworks. But with the entirety of Bitcoin working off supply and demand models, I don't see why its inflationary pressures should be any different. The economics of the future will be focused on how Bitcoin integrates into the economy, and we'll suddenly start to notice how much of a more stable and productive economy a Bitcoin economy is compared to a fiat economy. The stability of the currency and the open supply and demand on its value will make the economy work in a far clearer and more incorruptible way. Bitcoin will lead to a huge wealth transfer, a wealth transfer that will give new meaning to the term new money. As for the first time in 5,000 years, a new monetary system takes over. We should all just enjoy the ride. So, thank you for listening to that episode. If you liked it, feel free to give a star rating or leave a comment. Perhaps you want to explore my other podcast. It's called 100 Greatest Inventions. In the next episode, we're going to start looking at blockchains. Thank you.